Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. We're going to be talking about uh, veteran mental health, equine therapy. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but first I want to thank our sponsors, I appreciate my sponsors because we all know that my sponsors are 100% veterans, 100% of the time. So I want to thank our sponsor. As you guys know, when I was in the military, I got hooked on energy drinks. But now that I'm an old man, I'm only allowed to have one a day. And the one that I choose is by uh, Jason Lane Curtis of Bonvera, Physic Zero. All the energy, no crash, no sugar. Definitely check them out. Jason Lane Curtis, Curtis. Curtis of Bonvera. Matthew, my brother, what's going on? Not much. How are you, Rich? Oh, come on. I get to hang out with another Jersey boy today? Come on. Life is good. Life is very good and busy. So that's the way it's got to be. So what do you got planned for today? Uh, <laughs> as soon as I get done this, I'm going over to do uh, an equine therapy session. Uh, we have a program that just started today, and we got another one that starts tomorrow that runs for uh, eight weeks. And uh, all that on top of doing school. I'm in Widener's master's program for social work, and I'm also the founder of Green Star Families, uh, of which we've got a bill in front of Congress right now to federally recognize families of veterans that have committed suicide. So. Yeah, you know, a lot going on. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, they hear about gold stars, but they don't really hear about green stars. So we're definitely going to hop onto that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about where you grew up and what kind of little boy was Matthew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do I have to? Um, I told yeah. you were going to go way back. <laughs> so um, I am um, the firstborn of six. Um, Grew up in Upper Darby, uh, started out in Catholic school and switched over to public school in uh, sixth grade, seventh grade. Um, as soon as I turned 18, I joined the, the Army uh, as a medic and uh, left and graduated and left for basic and AIT in 1993. All right. Uh, First yeah. of all, you got to tell me um, what drew you to the military and talk to us because I love hearing everybody's recruiting story. So talk to us about the day you talked to the recruiter. Ah, uh, wow. Um, I really didn't need a recruiter. I just uh, I needed to get out of my house. I needed to learn my about myself and find myself. And I wanted to travel and do things outside of Upper Darby. And um, yeah, so I already knew what I wanted and everything like that. And I went down. And at first I had Airborne and Ranger in my contract to be a medic. Uh, and then that was a delayed entry program type of thing because I turned 18 in March, but I didn't graduate till June. Uh, and then when I went down to MEPS in Philly, that's when it was still in Philly, um, they disqualified me for a sunburn. <laughs> I was like, uh, that's not cool. So I wound up getting sent back home and my room was already gone and my sisters had moved up into the room. And so I had to sleep on the couch uh, for the next two days because I kept going down every day. Um, and had a congressional uh, request for them to review my medical. Uh, and when they did so, my MOS was already gone. So I had to keep going down until the uh, medic MOS reappeared. And then I was able to be snatched up and taken sent away. So um, at the very least in my contract, I didn't want anything other than, than the medic MOS. So uh, once they were able to obtain that for me, I just accepted it and left. So. So when you got to basic training and AIT and all that good stuff, did you take to the military or did you have a struggle? Oh, no. Uh, I took to it, I think, quite easily. My dad was a drill sergeant um, towards the end of Vietnam, so uh, they were actually quite nicer than I thought they'd be. <laughs> um, I was expecting a whole lot harsher uh, treatment and was kind of saddened at seeing the difference between the two more so just because I felt that it was good for me, especially coming up. Cause I was always getting in a lot of trouble. Um, but realized what it was and understood it and was like, okay, let me just get through this type of thing. So 
uh, got through it and got sent to Korea uh, as soon as I graduated AIT um, for a year. So that was the, the first buildup, I guess. Um, so I was hoping that recently there would be an end to the, the Korean conflict just so I could, you know, say that, hey, I'm retiring. Oh, and Korea is out of the way now, too. So but that didn't happen anyway. So you know, how how long did you do um, in the military? I did four years active. I did one year in Korea, and then the rest was with the 101st Airborne. Uh, that was with the 326 Engineers. Uh, and then I actually got off of active duty because we weren't doing much. Uh, we never deployed, didn't go anywhere. It was kind of boring. So in 1997, I did decided that I wanted to become a physician assistant. So I got off of active duty to come home and join the Pennsylvania National Guard and, you know, do the prerequisites so that I could get into Hahnemann's physician assistant program. Uh, so I completed my prerequisites at Delaware County Community College and then um, was able to get into Hahnemann's uh, PA program. And that was right when they were trying to switch over from a bachelor's program to a master's program. Uh, and then 9-11 happened. So yeah. That, <laughs> that totally threw it in a different direction, but go ahead. Now, me and you were both in the Pennsylvania National Guard at the same time, but we never met, which was which is kind of weird. We probably passed each other somewhere in, in that time. So now you didn't get to deploy, correct, because you had some kind of surgery? Well, no. Um, in 2004, I left the PA program to deploy with a unit from Mount Pleasant. Uh, the first of the 110th Infantry. I uh, went through the whole six-month train-up and went to NTC and came home and packed my bags and, you know, got, got them on the connex to go over. And very last minute, they came back and they're like, oh, we don't like, you know, that you have a heart issue, so we're going to pull you from the deployment, um, which really frustrated me because I didn't see it coming. Um, I didn't know they still had an issue. And if they did, why did they let me train for the whole six months and go through NTC with no problems, no sick calls, you know, anything like that? Uh, what had happened, what year was that? Um, probably in 99, 2000, uh, we had trained at Fort Pickett and I wound up getting what they think is a tick-borne related issue with my heart where it would pause for long periods of time. <laughs> uh, I wound up getting a pacemaker for a year and a half and then I got it removed so I could stay in the military. Um, so they didn't like that. So I came home and it turned out I also had three abdominal hernias uh, from a previous abdominal surgery. So I got that repaired and fixed. And then um, in 2006, the unit that I was with for 12 years uh, was deploying over as a company to Iraq. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get onto that deployment and went with the unit that I'd been with for 12 years. So, so talk, talk about, about deployment. deployment but went. But went. Say again. Talk to us about your deployment and how it went. Uh <laughs> So it was interesting. Um, first, let me lay the ground basis here. Um, the medics in my squad, in the medical platoon, there was four of us, um, one being my sister. Um, <laughs> and we all volunteered to go. None of us were mandated or had to or were forced to go. Um, yeah, so we went over. I, I deployed with my sister in the same exact medical platoon. We were four medics replacing 18 active duty medics on a small one by one mile by one mile fob. Um, the fob's name was in Camp Ashraf. Uh, so it was like fob grizzly or I don't know. It was a Pentagon secret squirrel thing where we were actually sitting on the People's Mujahideen of Iran. Um, they were a faction that came across uh, from Iran and formed in Iraq to help Saddam fight against the Iranian uh regime way back in the day. Um, and then they were still up on the border with Iran. And so when the Americans and, you know, came into Iraq and took over, we secured that base and just let them still be them, which was quite interesting because um, I met, you know, first, first time when we went out to the, the TIF, which I don't know why they called it a TIF because they were all UN recognized uh, refugees. Um, you know, there was blonde hair, blue eyed Canadians and Scotsmen and, you know, all these different nationalities coming up. And it really reshaped what I thought, you know, a people's Mujahideen of Iran would look like. <laughs> um, 
a little uh, <laughs> skewed in uh, their mission plan for us initially. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it had its moments. It had its, we, we had a, a loss uh, of a, one of our soldiers who we um, had the four wheel armored vehicles that kind of look like strikers, but I don't even know, AFPs or whatever they're called. Um, they, they had uh, found a, a landmine and um, we lost one soldier uh, and another soldier had lost his leg. Um, and then, I don't know, that was kind of expected because we're in war type of thing. So it didn't really impact me as hard as I think it did with other individuals. Um, the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind was that we were working with a, a soldier, a young soldier who was struggling with uh, mental health issues and had to you know, relayed to us that he was thinking of suicide. So we went through the proper channels and um, a chaplain had gotten involved and refused to send him to Balad to be evaluated and taken care of. And um, this went on for about two weeks. And right before his roommate came back from leave, um, this young soldier decided to take his life, which thoroughly infuriated me because I felt that it was being mishandled um, from the get-go. So um, the suicides really always seemed to really impact me and affect me more so than what I was prepared for, which was battle types of injuries, battlefield types of injuries. So them and uh, child injuries really, really affected me. Uh, so when you came back, did you notice something was off or did you come back okay mentally? Um, wow. I never thought of it that way. Um, I would say I came back off. I was still in that mindset for over there. Um, I don't think I quite had the decompression adjustment um, time. And I think what really contributed to that was sitting in Kuwait, um, we had received word that my mom had passed. Uh, and then when the unit tried to get my sister and I onto the first Red Cross flight, the first flight that was available was the flight we were already on, which was still, you know, 24 hours away. Uh, so automatically that sent us into a um, different mindset, if you will. Um, not one thinking of, you know, coming home and trying to readjust and, and get out of the mindset of being over in a war zone, um, but more towards like, you know, how, how's my, how's the rest of my family doing? Like I said, I'm the oldest of six and, you know, my dad is the survivor, you know, and all this and how it all happened and what we are going to do. Um, but the unit, because, you know, we were such a tight knit family. Um, as soon as we landed, the unit had a, um, a van, a TMP sitting on the tarmac and, you know, they grabbed my sister and I and took us right to our home. And of which I'll never forget this. I mean, we came off the, the van and, loaded right into my dad's truck and went up and picked out a casket for my mom. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was hard switching gears. I'd even say impossible. I don't think I've really fully done it, but, um, yeah. So now you came, you came back, um, and then what happened when you came back with, with school, with school and, and everything? <laughs> um, so yeah, after the week of you know getting the funeral for my mom and everything out of the way, we had to go back to Fort Dix to out process, um, of which they found more medical issues with me, um, and I was not going to let any other surgeon but the one that had done the previous surgery at Crozier take care of me. So I went through their uh, their steps to get evaluated and had it all documented because I knew later on it would probably you know surface. Um, and then I got released off of active duty, came home, and then I tried to get back into Hahnemann, which now is Drexel. And Drexel said that they didn't honor the Hahnemann uh, military uh, leave that I was put on and that they would accept me back where I was, which I had already completed three rotations. So I was already more than three quarters of the way through the program but I would have to repay for all the physicals, or I'm sorry, all of the, um, the finals from the didactic portion 
of which I had already taken out Sally May money to pay for the school. So there's no way I could pay three thousand plus dollars to retake all the all of the finals. So I just said, well, that's it. You know, I'm I'm done with school. I'm gonna go home. I want to get a job somewhere in the medical field that really didn't um, have to do with the the front line, the emergency line, because. I'd been working as an EMT, um, as an ER tech, as a phlebotomist, you know, direct patient contact. So I applied to the Coatesville VA uh, in 2008 and worked there as a uh, medical equipment sterilizing tech, but was never allowed to go to the school because there was another individual that worked for the VA and they couldn't fire him, but he had already failed the class like eight times or whatever. Um, and when this didn't occur, meant that I didn't get bumped up to the next GS rating or whatever, which made it to where I wasn't profiting from driving from, at the time I lived in media, all the way out to Coatesville. So I wound up quitting there. Uh, and then thankfully, um, another unit was deploying, the first and 111th, of which they brought me on as a medic who was going to help with all the previous deployment uh, soldiers that had been injured and needed help to get through the system, um, whether it be a medical board or become medically fixed so that they could re be retained and stay in. Uh, and that's where my career pretty much began as an AGR soldier for the Pennsylvania National Guard. So, <clears throat> And then, <laughs> and then you get all jacked up in a car accident and then you have to deal with your own medical retirement. What was that like? Um, so let me backtrack a little bit because I think I, I kind of <laughs> veered away from what you had asked previous. So, okay, I get on to like full-time ADOS orders, um, which is like temporary orders technically until a unit comes back off deployment and everything. And I realize I really am starting to exhibit a lot of signs and issues and struggling with the thoughts of suicide myself. Um my wife was diagnosed with MS prior to my leaving for Iraq. And when I came home, I realized that we were so far separated that like it, it was almost like we didn't know each other. Um, so I started to reach out for help because I was doing, um, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, very risky behaviors, <laughs> trying to satiate my need for thrill and that kind of stuff. So uh, I went through because I was initially put in at, at Coatesville uh, as a patient to then uh, Philadelphia's VA. And then from Philly, they referred me to Sewell as an outpatient clinic. And I couldn't be seen for three months by the therapist. Then when I was seen, they rescheduled me again for three months later, <laughs> even though they felt that I should have been seen at least twice a week, uh, which made me find uh, an organization called GiveAnHour.org great organization they were able to hook me up with the therapist that literally is at the top of my street and she was like i need to see you like two three times a week um so i started getting that under control and thankfully my wife was willing to work and and, and be there next to me in the trenches to get through it all um then yeah i kept focusing on my active duty um got promoted went up through the ch the channels was still really starting to, to fuss, uh, struggle with the leadership. Um, some of them were great. Some of them were just absolutely, you know, brick walls that you couldn't get anything through or, or, or cross to, uh, especially trying to um, act on the behalf of the mental health portion, especially for, for soldiers and everything that were in the National Guard at the time. But yeah, then 2017, I drove back down after a drill to drop off the grill that we had um, because we had borrowed a grill from Fort Dix for the, uh, uh, what is that called, MWR yep. uh, type of, of event that we were having for people that were getting ready, our soldiers that were getting ready to go down to uh, the inauguration. And um, when I was leaving after dropping it off, a 71-year-old gentleman had blown a stop sign out to the main highway leading into Fort Dix. I never saw the vehicle. I never saw him or anything and smashed into me. Um, the other driver wound up dying at the scene and I was well concussed to, I don't remember anything after the initial impact. Um, 
and for the first month i really don't remember a lot but at the time they didn't really focus on a tbi or anything like that because i had a um, dislocated hip technically and then i ha also had my spleen and liver that were lacerated from the car accident um, of which I wound up going back in for a week while they stabilized those lacerations, hoping to not open my abdomen again, especially after so many surgeries. So when I was at work and the new commander, because I had switched units from the 111 to another one that I don't want to really say right now, um, that commander was like, that's it, you're getting boarded and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I'm not fighting anymore because I had already been through two medical boards with the military, you know, so... I'm like, you know, if you're going to board me, you're going to board me for all of my medical issues, both past and current, and we'll see where the cards fall. So um, I was quite impressed after especially seeing how the, the military side handled boards previous. Um, but now because of all of the updates that they made to it and everything, it was pretty fluid, consistent process of moving through and um, they also had the VA included with the board, so I didn't have to, like, you know, finish the military board and then go out and seek my VA. Um, all the rating and everything was all rolled up into one, and I wound up walking away um, with what I felt was fair and, and duly um, needed for sustainment to continue after I had gotten all out of the service, so... Now, you know, because I I got uh, med boarded, and this was in 2012, but they it took a while. Yeah. So I was in what they called a, I guess they would call it a warrior transition unit at the time. Um, now, did what did, what were you doing while this, all of this paperwork was being done? Um, you know, because a lot of people don't know what the process actually is. So um, was it long and drawn out, your process? No. Um, so being on AGR uh, with the Pennsylvania National Guard, they really don't have a med hold unit. And when you are on those orders, there is only that one slot that <laughs> um, can be filled at that time. So I was holding down the job of uh, readiness NCO for an HHT. Um, and then I was also the battalion medical readiness NCO or the squadron medical readiness NCO. So two big jobs technically um, that there was no replacement for. So it was more or less like, well, you're staying into that job until you know you get disconnected from the carriage type of thing. So I think that's what led to the speediness of getting through the medical board, number one. Number two, the person who was in charge of it up at the Gap, uh, a good friend of mine, w knows the job very, very well. So he was able to keep it going and get it done pretty quick. I would say it pretty much took from start to finish about eight months. Um, but then at the end of the eight months, like there was still major confusion. Like, was I supposed to be collecting medical or military retirement because I had over 26 years in? Um, was I supposed to be collecting VA because the the percentage that it came out to be based off of what my retirement would be? So there was a lot of confusion there to the point that literally I still don't know what I should be collecting. Um, so, but yeah, I think the, the speediness for me was simply because I was an active National Guardsman, number one, and number two, they wanted to refill that position, but I had to be gone before that could happen because there was no place to move me like a med hold unit or anything like that. So, okay. Now, cause I, I retired out of, uh, Fort, Fort Dix area right. uh, now because I have a traumatic brain injury and it's something that I deal with every day. And you know, a lot of people, they don't really talk about traumatic TBIs. Um, did you have any residual effects from a traumatic brain injury? I did. Um, this was the first time that I had been concussed or had any sort of head injury that was actually to the frontal part of my brain. Um, most of my other concussions were to the back, so my balance would be off a little bit, but memory and, and cognitive function technically wasn't affected until this, this latest car accident. Um, I found that I was not able to remember how to get on websites. Um, especially in the medical field, using all the different medical sites that are indigenous only to the medicine, medical part of it. Um, 
such as like MedChart and that kind of thing. Like I used to be able to envision it and talk someone through on the phone, you know, where they need to go and how to get to that page that they needed to get to. Um, but I was severely unable to recall any of it or envision it or, or it, it really was affecting me to the point that like I had to start telling uh, my, my doctors, my care team that, you know, there's something wrong. And at the time I really couldn't voice it um, just because I couldn't remember words and names and that kind of stuff um, of what exactly it was that I was finding fault with myself, which led to self frustration um, where I was getting angry and pissed off at myself uh, because I wasn't able to help, you know, the soldiers that I was trying to help because I couldn't remember where the heck I was supposed to be doing with what on the computer systems. Um, but of course, you know, the the command at the time that I had didn't want to hear that and didn't care. They just wanted results. Um, so that led to, you know, co more conflict and more, to be quite honest with you, self-hate towards myself because I couldn't fulfill the level of... Um, success that I usually was able to provide, you know what I mean? So it was frustrating. It was scary. It was, it more pissed me off than anything in the world. Um, until I was finally able to be out and start working on myself, um, which is how I got connected with the equine therapy. So <laughs> now, you know, cause I get frustrated a lot of times, like me and my wife will be talking and say, we'll be talking about, a basketball or, or, or whatever. And, and I can't remember the name of, you know, basketball. And I'll be like, you know, that round thing, you know, that round orange thing. Yep. And it gets very frustrating. Cause you're like, my mind is knows what I want to say, but I can't get it out. And I guess it's very, it, it's for a lot of people. It's very frustrating. And I, and I can see where people can get really wrapped around the axle. Now, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've talked to hundreds of people on the show and by the way, me, um, Heroes Media Group, me and Adam got something going on. We'll be dropping soon. So just wanted to put that out there since I know we're both friends with Adam and HMG. Uh, but now, I, you know, since, like you said, I've done hundreds of interviews. And usually when a, a person gets out of the military, um, you know, we're all hoo-hoo and hardcore and all that crap. But. Uh, you know, we get used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. You know, we get used to TRICARE and all that. And then when we get out, you know, like my friend Sergeant Nick says, um, the military does not give a shit about you. And the phone stops ringing. So a lot of people, when they get out like I did, they struggle in transitioning because, number one, they long, no longer have a mission. And number two is they don't have the squad members that they were friends with. Because, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And so they really struggle with trying to find a Michigan again. What was your transitioning like the day, you you know, after they told you, you know, you're no longer a member of the United States military? Uh, pretty much exactly how you just described it. Um, I needed a mission. I knew I needed a mission. Um, uh, innately, I can't sit still. Um, I can't have nothing to do. I need something to do. Um, so I really started evaluating it and thinking about it the months leading up to getting out. And I really couldn't see myself going back to work for a big organization such as like the VA or I mean, I know I've got the skills to be able to go in and, and be able to help out there. Um, but I just didn't like hearing all the stories and what I'd already previously seen of being restricted from flexibility and doing truly what was needed for a veteran for their uh, healing process or their success. So I said, you know what? I, I just gotta make my own mission. Um, so in finding equine therapy and realizing that I believe that this is truly a good way forward, um, especially compared to sitting in an office and talking about, you know, psychological stuff that, you know, you're trying to put feelings into words when we really, I've never learned those terms. You know what I mean? Growing up, it wasn't like, oh, use compassion. Where the hell did that word come from? So I like the aspect of keeping the hands busy and being present because when you're standing next to a thousand plus uh, horse, pound horse, you have to be in the present or else you're going to get stepped on. And, you know, you got to pay attention to what you're exactly doing. 
um, which I really believe that the therapist is able to talk to your subconscious because you're too busy worrying about, you know, staying safe that you just respond with how you normally would respond. So that became my mission. Um, it totally encompassed everything about my being, um, which I think was needed, especially being on ADR. I mean, I would get calls at 11 o'clock at night to start dealing with something. There was numerous times I had to drive to different locations, including like Delaware to, you know, talk a veteran down or got a call from a spouse because they needed to be taken to the hospital or something for a crisis. So I needed something that was all encompassing and that definitely vets, uh, veteran equine therapy specialists. I started up the nonprofit, um, which we do equine therapy with veterans and it's been going strong ever since. Well, tell me um, how you initially got started with equine therapy. So I was getting towards getting, being told that I was going to be sent to a board and it just seemed like everything was becoming um, overpowering. Um, I couldn't find rest. I couldn't relax. I couldn't calm down. Um, never was really into sports. Uh, so I couldn't really find an escape. And one of the ladies that I was on the environmental commission with in Swedesboro had stated that she was a horse owner and needed some help around the farm in fixing up, you know, different structures on her property, uh, such as the running sheds for the horses and stuff. So I agreed, you know, hey, let me come out and work. I don't want to get paid. I just need something to keep my hands busy. And while I was out there alone working on, you know, the different things that I was working on, I just felt such a calm and a peace come over me um, with the horses present and around me. So it got me started thinking. I mean, I had heard roughly little bits and pieces about equine therapy, wasn't really sure what it was or how it all worked and that kind of thing. Um, so I started, you know, really evaluating how it would fit, how it would work, what I would like to possibly do with it, especially having the medical background. Um, a little bit of psychological background because I had a bachelor in psych at the time and I started piecing it all together and found that there is a community out there um, that has been trying to get off the ground by relaying the message of how equine therapy can actually help. Um, and then I started applying it and I found uh, my partner, Jeannie Mahoney, uh, who had been doing equine therapy since 2008. And it was almost like she kind of just looked at me and was like, yep. I, I know what this 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 guy needs. And uh, she started doing therapy with me. And then I started, you know, taking uh, a grasp of it and understanding uh, the clinician part of it and applying it and have seen it in action now, hmm, what, like eight times where we did full programs. And every single time I do it, it revitalizes my belief in it and my drive to continue it. So, um yeah, so much so that it spurred me to go for my, you know, social work, my master in social work degree so that I can get my LCSW, my licensed clinical social work degree um, to be able to continue therapizing in this world. <laughs> so now, you know, because I, I've been watching a lot of specials since I knew we were going to talk, I started, you know, doing a lot of research on equine therapy. And, you know, they, a lot of people that have gone through it said, you um, the, the horse actually can see, they feel they can actually see through their soul, your soul. And there's a bond that gets created. Um, talk to us about the relationship and the way, you know, veterans or even anybody struggling with any, even addiction issues, PTSD, why they can relate so much with a horse that they can't other places. Definitely. Um, so I, what I'll tell you is what I believe, because um, this is such a new process that's out there. There's many different theories. There's many different forms of therapy. Um, mostly what's out there, I would label as therapeutic, such as if you just go out and you shoot bows off of you know the back of a horse while riding, I would say that's therapeutic, not therapy. Um, therapy, I believe, is a licensed individual, whether, you know, it's in equine therapy or psychotherapy or anything like that. When they actually are trying to help someone work through their process, then I would say that that is therapy. When it's just being near and around the horse, I would say that's therapeutic. 
So that's a big, big meaning, especially as this field progresses and goes forward. Um, there will be, there has to be a differentiation um, to, to specialize it more, to make it more specific towards exactly what is being done when you're, you know, signing up for one of these programs. Um, but why I really think that it works with veterans, first responders, um, addiction counseling and addiction issues and stuff like that is because the horse is a very big mammal <laughs> and they are nonverbal. So they, in a herd, have to communicate nonverbal ways and pick up on small cues as to what an approaching human or animal or whatever is intending for them. Is it going to be an attack? Is it going to be just, hey, I'm kind of coming over here just to be. Um, so they have to get very good at reading body language. But I also believe that, you know, due to the structure of their brain and everything like that, um, with the amygdala and, and, and that kind of thing, they can actually pick up on your energy waves um, coming from your brain, whether you intend them harm or you don't, um, which I know it sounds kind of weird because, you know, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, that doesn't make any kinds of sense. But a dog, you know, is able to pick up on your your energy as well. Um, and then if you start thinking about like whales in the ocean and how they can, you know, emit sounds that travel for thousands of miles, it's not that far fetched to think that maybe it's, you know, a, a, a type of energy that's emitted that will help not only calm you, because a lot of times the horses work to calm you if you're stressed out, um, but a lot of times as well, you're able to bond with the horse simply if you just open your mind to be able to exist with the, 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 the horse, the, the animal. So being in close proximity, you don't understand all this right away. You're not thinking about the energies um, for me, I'd never really been around horses before. So just being in the presence of a thousand pound animal plus that when they start shaking and, you know, sh uh, doing their normal, whatever you want to call it, shaking off or whatever, just listening to their muscles with all the energy. And it's like a low hum is just, it's, it's wow. <laughs> um, it's energizing. It's scary at the same time. So it kind of helps out with that need to satiate the uh, adrenaline release type of thing. But then you start focusing towards the horse and without knowing it, you're actually starting to sink your breathing and your heart rhythm and your mind to calm it down. <clears throat> and the whole time the horse is kind of like checking you out to decide, like, are you going to be a part of my herd that will keep me safe or make me a liability because I'm this close to you? I've seen horses walk directly away from somebody because they just weren't congruent with themselves. Now, when I say that, it's, you know, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. There was one client I remember specifically, a veteran. No, I'm cool. I'm not nervous. I'm not anything. And this horse that we've been working with all day long just started pooping diarrhea. And it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you say you're fine. The horse is pooping diarrhea. Uh, I don't think you're fine. But we didn't say that to him. We just kind of let the whole you know session play out. And then the next week when he came back, he's like, yeah, I was really nervous, guys. And we're like, mm -hmm. yeah, we the horse told us that. Um, so it's really, really interesting at how people can actually be in one spot while working in a different plane that as a clinician, you're tuned into to read and see and, and pay attention to. Whilst, you know, um, real subtly making sure that not only the client, but the horse is safe as well when they're in close proximity to each other. So does that kind of explain? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I really appreciate about you is your heart. And, you know, I love that, you know, you guys actually do combat veterans equine programs. Um, so how does somebody you know, get into those programs? And, you know, I know it's it's a hard thing to promote so how do you guys go about doing attraction rather than promotion so uh, i'm glad you kind of brought that up because i was just struggling with that today like this isn't like any other sort of program where i can just take pictures and throw it up on the internet because these are actually clients who are receiving actual therapy you know so who wants you know i wouldn't want my picture up there being like hey this person's out here doing 
psychotherapy with horses. So, you know, throwing pictures up oftentimes is just of the horses or like sunsets and that kind of thing. Um, it's real easy. Just contact me um, or go to the, the web page or the Facebook page uh, for vets, the veteran equine therapy specialists, because there's another program out there called vets as well. Um, that's in Jersey um, <laughs> that I don't want to talk about right now, but uh, you know, just email me. And if you want to be part of a group, we, like I said, have one starting today and one starting tomorrow for the evening. Um, and then if you aren't ready for it quite yet, um, just contact us and we can let you know when our next programs will be. Um, or we can even possibly set up a one-on-one -on -one where you come out and you experience the therapy by yourself. Um, we just brought on another uh, therapist. Um, she is working out well. She's a veteran as well and we're growing so <laughs> just contact us and um that goes for donations as well if you like this type of therapy and you want to keep being able to provide it to to veterans and first responders we do actually um we have been currently seeing a police officer that was involved in a very kind of famous shootout in new jersey uh what year was it 2010 2004 something like that um, and he's making great strides. Uh, he's even amazed at, at the years that he had repressed all of the issues that he was having and how it kind of played out in his life. And now he's taking it back and, um, it's really, really awesome to see. So yeah, first responders, um, medical, anybody that in their normal profession comes across or deals with trauma, um, is more than welcome at our program and we find funding to that goes strictly and specifically to uh, the therapy. Okay. Uh, now that was my next question because, you know, I, I have another friend. I just, I'm about to interview him. Um, he has a ranch and it, he help, he also helps veterans and first responders. But, you know, as we all know, you know, horses got to eat. Yeah. Horses got to poop. You know, somebody's got to feed them. Somebody's got to clean up. So how do you, um, how do you guys afford this and how can we support the mission? Roger. Um, yeah, the horses, um, they're mainly the ones that receive the money. Um, a couple of the big things that you just left out kind of about what you were saying, where the money goes and they need to eat and that kind of thing is the vet bills. Um, in order to use these horses in this type of therapy, they have, they're required by law to have, you know, certain immunizations uh, to be around the public and that kind of thing, as well as every three to four weeks, they need their, their hoofs taken care of by a farrier. So there's a lot, <laughs> a lot that goes into owning and keeping the horses and everything like that, um, as well as the barn and the indoor arena, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, so what, how vets actually works is whenever we do hold a program, we speak with Jeannie who owns the horses and equine assisted therapy of New Jersey, um, which is more or less technically our parent company until I get my, my legal certifications and that kind of stuff through school. Um, and then, you know, we've already worked out how much it is for her to keep her license as a therapist and that we work under that type of licensing. Um, we do work closely with uh, Wounded Warrior Program um, in which they do sponsor individuals for a certain amount for every session. Um, that's especially been helpful through COVID because we haven't been able to do, you know, our normal big fundraisers and that kind of stuff. Um, but more or less, it's just donations um, from individuals and organizations directly to us. Wawa has been a huge sponsor. Um, and we collect the money in and then we, you know, as we get a client or are looking at starting up a program, we factor out how much each will cost. And then that's how much, you know, vets would pay to uh, Jeannie Mahoney um, to be able to keep the horses up and that kind of stuff. So um, it's been really interesting because, you know, it's quite nerve wracking when you're sitting there thinking from a way that I was brought up that like, if there's no money in there, then you can't do whatever you, you know, you can't afford, you can't do. So luckily each time there was a need for us to have some money, somehow, some way the universe got it to us and we were able to complete and put on whatever we were doing. So, um, but yeah, this, 
I'd also like to say that what we're doing right now is just the beginning phase. Eventually, in the next coming years, especially after I graduate and become an LCSW, my bigger vision for VETS is to have a residential type of program um, that hopefully can get into um, rehab and recovery as well, um, go through the psychological process with the equine therapy, but then also be able to, to provide um, job training um, specific to equine industry, if you will. Um, I, I hope to have an, a farrier class uh, as well as a driving class. And what that is, is um, horses nowadays are being used to log um, from federal uh, lands. Um, there's a rule that's been written by the federal government that says that logs can be fell on um, federal property, but they can't be removed by industrial machines. So what's happening is, is horse teams are going out and dragging these logs out to hard roads of which you're allowed to then use mechanical equipment to put them up on trucks. So if a veteran really can't integrate back into civilian society and that kind of thing, I think this would be great for those types of individuals to not really have to deal with the civilian populace and work in the woods and with the horses and with other veterans possibly um, doing a task and a job that is now you know certified and legal out there. So. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just the beginning of a much bigger envision and dream that I hope we can eventually get off the ground so that we can receive those homeless veterans and the veterans that really have lost their lust for life to become to come to us so that we can get them fixed up so that other veterans organizations can then step in to help them out. Because um, as of right now, I really don't know of a veterans program that can take a vet that totally doesn't care anymore to give them back the, that passion to, to live and succeed and, and grow um, and get them started. So that's that's my vision for the future. So, Okay, so that leads me to my, my last question. Um, I ask everybody and I, get a, I ask a thousand people and I get a thousand different answers. Um, you know, we still, we're living in a COVID world, you know, in New Jersey, as you know, places starting to get locked back down thanks to our amazing governor. Um, but you know, a lot of families, you know, a lot of parents have lost their jobs. So they're driving for DoorDash or Uber. And so we're really busy. And if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if, you, if there's somebody out there listening to this right now, that's struggling with their mental health, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get some help? Call me. Call me at 484-881-1875 or email me at vets.matt at gmail. Um, I'd like to, you know, give what most other therapists would say, which is, you know, reach out to your support network, call a friend. I mean, those are all great things, but if they really truly were going to do that to help themselves, they would have done it already. So if you're sitting here listening to this and you're really thinking this and you don't really feel that there's anybody you can reach out to, then just reach out to me. Um, I, and I, I feel that's really lacking from today's world. Like everybody's always like, yeah, I'm always there for you, man, whatever you need. And then you, you do something small, like, Hey, do you want to go out and catch a, you know, grab a beer or, you know, go watch a game together or come over for a fire pit, you know, hang out. Oh, I'm really busy. And you know what? Just stop. Just call, reach out to me. Um, no matter what state you're in, I don't, it doesn't have to be New Jersey, but we can talk, we can figure something out and we can figure the next step moving forward. So how many people have said that? <laughs> uh, not many. And the ones that do say that they, they actually mean it. It's not just words. Um, because that's one thing I think I pride myself on is that, um, if somebody needs me, you know, I'm there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like kind of like, you know, you are. So guys definitely check out, check out the Facebook page, veteran equine therapy specialist. It's a great page. Um, they have a lot of stuff going on. If you're a veteran, definitely reach out. Matthew is the salt of the earth. Great people. So brother, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Um, this will be going out next season. 
but I'm going to share it. I'll share it to all my groups and especially a lot of veterans groups in New Jersey. So brother, I just want to say thank you for, for your friendship for all these years and thank you for supporting me and, and my mission. No, thank you. Uh, it's been great to see your evolution. I mean, we got together when you were pretty early on doing this kind of stuff and then you've evolved and created into this and had some other physical, you know, health issues that you had to deal with. And I'm glad that you were able to pull out of that and keep going strong. And by all means, I appreciate your support and supporting me and the veterans of everywhere, <laughs> including South Jersey. So, um, yeah, I look forward to working with you more in the future and doing yeah, bigger, sure. bigger, better, greater things. And I would love to come down someday and maybe do even do a Facebook live from there you know, just to promote it a little bit more. Sure. Yeah, we can work on that. All right, brother. Well, like I said, I want to thank Jason Lane Curtis from Bonvera for giving me all the energy I need. And I just want to thank you for the energy drinks. So definitely check out Jason Lane Curtis at bonvera.com. All right, brother, Matt, have an amazing week and we'll be in touch. Very good. Thanks. You too. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show. If you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass kicking coffee, and and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So, if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey. From Darkness to Light, definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. 